Yo, we got a great ass show for you for today. Look, man, we got some subjects on it. Yo, this we're going to be talking about South Africa's win again in the Rugby World Cup, of course. WXV results, tier two. Is it in trouble? Is it dying? Eddie Jones is done. It's done in Australia. The experiment is over. British Lions and Super British and uh British Lions uh Super League coming in. HBCU rugby scores and so much more. Y'all, we got a great one coming through. Yo, let's hit this intro. I think the minute I stepped on our practice field for rugby, the calling happened. But an eight-year plan to be on the team. And I was in it within two years. Don't wait until you or a pro to be a pro, right? And I walk around with a rugby ball sometimes, and they're like, what is this child on? It looks like it was a heavy hit. It's up. It's not up. You know, that's the first time I played, like, professionally. I'm making rugby money. How can I make money outside of it? And there's two Scottish guys, and they said, oh, you're, um, you're here for the movie. That rugby is a game for all shapes and sizes, all cultural um, aspects. He looked at me and he said, you guys are awesome. Yo, man, uh, I am excited for today, man. Welcome to Rugby Swag. My name is Gift Gift Time at Baylu. This is a show where we get to talk to people about the things that they've done in rugby and being able to create as well as what's happening on the day-to-day news. Yo, my camera is messy right now. I got to get this thing right. There we go. There we go. All right. Man, it's been a long day, y'all. Look, sometimes one of the hardest things to be able to do is to be able to set everything up uh, on time and in the place that you want it to be. But, hey... We're going to make it happen no matter how late it gets, and we're going to get this going on. But first and foremost, y'all, I really, really, really need you guys to remember to absolutely like and subscribe here on the YouTube page, or definitely, uh, if you can, go ahead and hit up any of our social medias. That is Rugby Swag Show on Instagram. That is Gift A Bailu on X. That is Gift Time Rugby on Facebook, YouTube.com right here. Um, uh, uh, youtube.com slash gift time rugby, uh, and of course, TikTok at gift time rugby. And of course, if you want to be able to continue hearing on the podcast, because so many people are listening on the podcast, thank you so much for all of y'all that are able to do that. I just, please go ahead and let your friends know they can listen to the show fully on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Amazon Music, on iHeartMedia, and a plethora of other platforms that I don't even use. I basically just use uh, the first two, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So, I mean, look, it, it, it is what it is, you know. But, I, I, you know, you want to give as many platforms as possible because you want to give as many options to be able to catch it where you are. I want to be in your place. But we have an amazing show for you for today. Uh, this one is going to be... Uh, <sighs> Man, there's <laughs> there's some stuff to talk about. Look, uh, I, as I said at the top of the program, uh, we got a lot of subjects to go down. So before we get started, uh, I definitely want to go and send a little love to the people that help us pay our bills. Uh, so we'll be back right after this ad. So, you know, you know. Yo, I'm going to let you get right back to it, but I want to talk to you about one of my favorite brands that are out there right now. Actually, I'm going to show you right quick. This is ketogenic coconut bread mix this is a specialty flour blend that allows me to be able to eat almost whatever cakes that i want now coconut is not typically one of my favorite flavors but this has absolutely killed and it's not just because it has great taste not because it's just easy to make but it's because it is absolutely not going to destroy my stomach 
It is gluten-free, but not nasty. Uh, this is something that has been going on, and this a company, Health Enhanced Food, has so many other options to be able to do and provide and customize to the needs that I wanted to. And this is something that I think we all know, especially in this world, it's hard to eat grain flour nowadays. It's not good. It's destroying the stomach. People are getting new and new diseases, and you need to have some new alternatives. So I suggest definitely go check out Health Enhanced Foods. See what kind of bread you can make. And no, it takes 20 minutes to be able to make something from it. They have a slew of options, and they are well knowledgeable in their ingredients. Everything is transparent. Everything is made in the U.S. and then some. So in the meantime, if you guys could support the show and go to Health Enhanced Food, and you can use coupon code Rugby Swag to be able to get 10% off your first purchase order. That's Rugby Swag. And you guys can go ahead and get your bread journey going on today. That's just your cakes, your pies, your bread. And, of course, with Thanksgiving and Christmas coming around, you're going to need it. HealthEnhancedFoods.com. Let's get back to it. Yo, y'all, that is what we are about to go through, man. Look, this is is a real one. So, look, I don't want to waste any more time because I already got you guys on one. So, let's talk about our first subject for the day. Man, South Africa wins the RWC, the Rugby World Cup, man. Look, I got I got to get my music up and going. Got to get my music up and going. All right, y'all. Man, if you guys didn't get a chance to watch it this weekend, you missed out on a real one. Uh, This was the match of matches. Uh, South Africa finally able to get a second one, get it over the top. And what I mean by over the top, I mean they were able to finally win the leaders of the Rugby World Cup uh, uh, all-time championship lead with four, officially beating the All Blacks. 12 to 11 in an absolute nail biter. This was a hard pressed game the entire bloody way. I I mean, if you want to talk about hard nosed, strong bully ball, this was the game to be able to go watch. Now, there was a lot that went into the setup for it, especially when it came to early stages of what people's perceptions were on uh, the bench setup for South Africa, which was the 7-1 bench. And I had to go online and actually uh, show my my foreignness when it comes to rugby, uh, only in this instance. This was because I didn't fully understand what that meant. But 7-1 meaning seven forwards, one, seven forwards in reserve with one back in reserve. And that meant no reserves for the scrum half, no reserves for the fly half. So the people who distribute out the ball the most were absolutely <laughs> going to be forced to have to play. Uh, and it was even more so because if Bob Clerk for South Africa, who was a scrum half, had gotten hurt, it would have been Chelsea, uh, Cheslin Colby, who was the dope-ass winger on the side. He would have had to move into scrum half. So everybody's just on it, uh, just the absolute risk in play and everything. I mean... Dude, you got to listen to some of these these uh, uh, stories that people were trying to throw out. <laughs> of course, now the video doesn't want to work. Um, well, all right, no worries. 
but it was incredible the amount of people who were just so against it whether they were calling it lack of the spirit of rugby and the moral ethics of doing a 7-1 split or the insanity that goes into it but you know what they say no risk no reward if you ain't trying if you ain't Take putting it all on the line, you truly ain't trying. I think technically it's you ain't cheating, you ain't trying, but we're not we're not going full Al Davis over here. Our South Africa, man, absolutely utilized their strength. Uh obviously, you know, there's a lot of conversation in terms also in the way that the game was played. Uh looking at some of the stats before we get into that, man. All Blacks definitely had the attacking stats. They won in time of possession, 60%. Had the most territory, 53%. Balls played, uh, it was almost double the amount that South Africa had. Uh, number of carries, almost double the amount South Africa had. Uh, broken tackles, literally uh, almost two and a half times uh, the amount that South Africa had. 36 broken tackles versus South Africa, 13. Line breaks, seven to versus three. Uh, total passes, 215 to 83. Uh, uh, offloads, All Blacks uh, actually had less offloads. They had four, South Africa seven. Uh, and uh, then you had bad passes, uh, which was uh, 15 to four, New Zealand. I mean, if you're passing more, you're going to have more bad passes. I mean, that's kind of the way that it goes. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Rucks and Malls. Uh, that was uh, favored uh, to New Zealand 5-1. to one. And again, you know, New Zealand really did have a great offensive plan because they are their spread rugby team that knows what exactly they're trying to do. They're trying to wear you out on the edges. And they really, really went for it. But this is where the difference always makes a plea. The best offense... Versus the best defense. And I said, South Africa has one of the best defense. Mind you, don't get me wrong. I thought that New Zealand was going to get this based off the mental game. It was a one and a half point scored a difference in terms of the betting line. I thought New Zealand was going to actually take this one. And no. I mean, give it to South Africa. Look, from defense, dominant tackles, 12 to 8. Turnover tackles, 3 to 1 in South Africa's favor. Uh, tackles made, 209 to 93 with what was it? 28 made by one person, the MVP. Uh, tackles missed, obviously, 36 to 13. Again, you're going to have more missed tackles if you're making more tackles. But 209 tackles made versus 93 uh, in, for New Zealand. Uh, turnovers conceded, uh, that's 15 to 10. Uh, that means that New Zealand turned the ball over 15 times versus South Africa's 10. Uh Number of penalties, South Africa had 10. Uh, New Zealand had five. Again, South Africa playing a much rougher game. And it just, where it mattered and where they played to their strength played into how the forwards went. You know, you're going to go heavier and harder whenever the fact that you have the guys to back it up and make the hits. And, of course, we all know South Africa lost their hooker at the beginning, but they're ready to go, you know. And, and that was one that I genuinely, I was like, I love, I love me some strong smash mouth gaming. Like one of my favorite things that come with either football or rugby. Like if you're playing a smash mouth game, I'm not necessarily going to be depending on the high score. And, and look, doesn't mean that you can't have a high score in smash mouth, but you typically or nor that you have good defense and a low scoring game. But in this one, it was low scoring, but it was 
tough, straight South African bully ball. Them box were doing them box were were doing what they do. Now I know the biggest controversy about this came in the 52nd minute. Not not, not even the 50. It was like the 22nd minute. Uh, whenever Sam Kane got the proverbial red card. Now for me, this is where the one part that really upset me. All right, and I think most of you probably had the same feeling. Like this is the part that really like irked my soul to its fullest extent, and that was the time it took to be able to award the yellow or red card to Sam Kane. Now, the issue was Sam Kane uh, made a head hit against South Africa's player. I forgot, I think it was Pollard, that it, he hit him in the head, hit it with the forearm. And, uh, you know, again, for the sake of the safety of the game, you know, he was definitely carded, which I think was completely justified. You know, uh, Wayne Barnes was the referee for this game, absolutely justified in the actions in terms of carding it. But this is where my problem is. It was the time that they took from whenever he was carded down to whenever they actually awarded the red card. So initially it was yellow card under decision. And I'm going to get into TMO, but the trash thing is you had a whole five minutes of game that actually ended up playing. So it wasn't like in, in normal replays in the U.S. where ref has their time, you take your time, whatever it is, whatever that decision is made, as soon as that ref's time is done, that's the decision that's made. Ref gets to see what's going on. Uh, audience sees it up on the screen. Everybody gets to know what exactly is being shown, yada, 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 yada. And then you go. This one, this one, I think is the pinnacle highlight of why TMO is absolutely trash. And I know we're going to be talking about Rugby World Cup, and I'm going to go into TMO's trashness um, after I finish up with, with this, this result. All right. But TMO is trash. And the red card was more irking to me because of the TMO and less so because of the switch. And I know there's another, like, instance where Sia Khaleesi made a hit on an All Blacks player, and then it was just awarded a yellow card. I mean, guys, it was kind of obvious. Like, there's a difference between whether it was malicious or not, but intentionally using the forearm and hitting up at the neck and above versus actually making a tackle, striking on the shoulder, and then the shoulder creating the ripple effect that appeared to make the slap against the chin uh, as an incidental hit. It was an incidental hit, so... I mean, I, I can understand why that was the yellow card versus the all blacks one. Like it's it's not I mean, you know, it's it's nuanced. Like that's it's a big difference. Again, the red card didn't bother me. It was the time that it took to get to that red card. It should never have been a wait to decision in the booth. Um and uh, the last thing about this Rugby World Cup I want to talk about, because I mean honestly, I think we've talked about it. It's been talked to death, you know, we know everything that's gone on the controversies but more importantly you know south africa you know getting the back to back 2019 2023 uh one of the hardest pathways going into the rugby world cup uh from the quarterfinals playing against number one over uh number two overall france uh going up against england a tough 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 tough, tough england team to ultimately get in against south uh new zealand to be able to get that which almost reflected similar to what happened 28 years ago, which adds to the storyline, you know, South Africa, you know, having its turmoils with uh, diversity issues within the country, governmental issues, corruption, uh, once again, economic issues and all that, like 
it, it's almost word for word outside of the fact that apartheid didn't happen just like a year and a half prior like it did in 1995 it didn't just end a year and a half prior in 1995 but a lot of issues were are still similar to what it was today and to be able to have the same result is definitely impressive and, and that doesn't even take away from new zealand new zealand played a hell of a game they had a path where they completely cleared out everybody uh obviously starting off with the loss against france and then from france on it was just clearing people just clearing people italy nah you know portugal nah georgia nah like ain't nobody worried georgia was but you know and then getting into the quarterfinals demolishing ireland uh almost a vengeance for that i, I know it's so long ago but i'm gonna say vengeance for that 2016 uh beating in chicago stadium um what else do you have? You have, uh, obviously, then you have going up against uh, Argentina, shellacking them in a reminder of who is the true uh, rugby championship champion uh, to finally get to South Africa and honestly play a heck of a game. They were the only team to score a try, which was a chef's kiss of a try all the way through. Like, I, you couldn't ask for a tweeter-looking try. Um, even if he, but no, no, I'm sorry. The try that got announced that went to from Matonga to uh Avea um was uh, was chef's kiss uh Avea was chef's kiss the one that went to Bowden Barrett was chaos absolute chaos and I loved every moment of that one and that one was actually really dope but the heartfelt moment that I love at the end of all this was uh when Sia Khaleesi uh is talking with the press and he's talking about his friendship with uh, Artie Savea, that these two who are on opposite sides of the squad, both of them obviously competitors, top of their profession, uh, absolutely coming together afterwards and friendship and love and uh, like their family. And it's like, that's a part about rugby that I, I'm like, yo, that is, that is the ethics. That is the morality of rugby, all right? It's not what you do with your bench stuff and it's not what you are trying to uh, show out in terms of uh, how the game is supposed to be played. <laughs> no, it is in knowing that you can play your opponent and then it's it's all love afterwards. Like, we're, we're fighting family, all right? It's fighting family, which is the best kind of competition. You don't want your family member to win, but you also don't want them to actually, like, get destroyed. Like, you know, outside of to you personally. Like, that's... It's all love in the end. Let's bring it up and we'll try this again and keep iron sharpening iron in that. So, man, that that's some of the things that I love the most from uh, the Rugby World Cup. And, uh, uh, you know, let me know what you guys think. Of course, if you're catching this on the live, definitely comment in. Uh, we're we're going to get our time settled out. Like right now, I think we're about uh, 8 o'clock uh, Eastern time, which is much, much later than I would have liked. Had a busy day. Hard to set everything up. But... Uh, it is definitely something that we're going to try and do a little bit better. I'm going to try and get it better and get a more consistent time, really like in mid-afternoon. But, you know, we do what we got to do. We do what we got to do. Uh, so let me know. Otherwise, let me know what you think in the comments. Let me know what you think within uh, uh, whether on Instagram, whether on the YouTube comments or hit us up uh, on any of the DMs. You know, I'm easy to access. You know, ain't no thing. Ain't no thing. Fast forward, you know. Um Okay, so let's move on to the next 
set uh, after the Rugby World Cup. Like I said, I'm going to talk TMO a little bit later because I have a lot to speak about for that one. But before we get to that, I want to talk about the WXV tournament. This was the last week for WXV Tier 2 and WXV Tier 3. Tier 1 has one more game left, one more round left this week. Uh, basically, championships are going to be England versus New Zealand. Again, you know, um, there's no knockout. There's no relegation for them. So basically, this is just like, hey, whoever wins, wins. We've gotten going to be able to have smack talking skills uh, and we'll have a little bit of a ranking thing. But I mean, you know, it doesn't it doesn't actually honestly matter very much. Whatever the end results are going to be for that. Um, man, we already got bots out here. All right. Anyways. Uh, so, but WXV2, man, this was the one. This is where USA is in. Uh, USA, about midway round, you know, wasn't really uh, going to do much. They had just uh, lost to Scotland. They beat Samoa and they played Italy in this one. Um, but ultimately, Scotland and Italy were topping the charts for, for this round. Uh, and then for WXV3, uh, again, it was coming down to Ireland and Spain. Uh, who is going to be able to end up winning it all and end up going to relegation? Whoever wins in WXV3 is going to be able to relegate up back to WXV2. And whoever is in WXV2 at last place would fall down to uh, WXV3 uh, for next year. So some of the scores that we had, uh, Scotland took on Japan, uh, beating them 38-7. Uh, South Africa took it absolutely to Samoa after coming off the loss last week um, and and uh, ended up beating Samoa 33-7. to seven. Uh, USA would lose to Italy 30-8. to eight. We're going to talk about that. Uh, in WXV3, uh, Fiji, who has come purely into their own. Fiji women have come into their own since the 20... I want to say since 2020, 2021, going into the Olympics, that team has become hard-nosed. I remember where they were in 2014. Fragile, not fragile, but they were they were quiet. You know, it wasn't it was quiet, and they were feeling themselves out. But after the pandemic, yo, they turned on another notch. Boom. They became something. Fiji destroyed Kazakhstan 118 to 0. Uh, Kenya, let's go over the top on Colombia, 21 to 5. And Ireland uh, ending up beating Spain to be able to get relegation into WXV2, beating them 15-3. to Now, let's talk about this Italy versus USA game. As I said before, this one isn't one that was going to be a big changer for the USA. Uh, beating Samoa, it kept them somewhere in the mix, at least of having a win. Uh, bottom tiers were really between... Samoa, South Africa, uh, Japan was kind of in the middle, uh, at least uh, to some extent. Uh, so there wasn't a worry about relegation. But for Italy, this was a game that was going to make the difference between whether or not they were going to be able to win this year's tournament or coming in in second place. And what the expectations, what was the expectations needed for them to get through was that for Italy to win over Scotland or the WXV tournament, Italy was going to have to win by 25 points and score four tries to be able to get the bonus point to get the win over Scotland. Scotland, however, obviously had already finished their game by the time this one went down, uh, beating Japan, as I said, 38-7. to 
The USA in this one, though, was a lot of testing. Now, Mason Hyde, who is the interim coach for USA Rugby, basically said, hey, I'm basically trying to see what the girls can do. I want to be able to warm up the USA girls and see, you know, how they can uh, uh, perform in this next next setup uh, and, and see what we got for the future, which everything is supposed to be leading for the 2025 Rugby World Cup women's. Uh, and and being able to you know get them ready because this is a young team. I, I had a feeling like this game wasn't going to be very favorable for the USA women. Obviously, the Scotland game was a really good indicator. But again, Scotland is a really veteran team who really knows what they're doing. They play pro. They have consistent games. They they do what they do. It wasn't surprising. Italy is in a similar boat. They're not as good as Scotland, but they've been proficient. Watching this game, you kind of side. Like again, you see the sparks that were happening through it. Uh, with the USA women, you definitely were able to see the uh, big breaks that they were able to do. Uh, they got players that can sneak in. The one issue they had was tackling. And this was against a, I'm not going to lie, a little bit of a sloppy Italy team. Their passing wasn't going that great. Um, I, I think Italy was a tad bit slow. Uh, but I think conditioning kind of caught up with everybody. And Italy just had better conditioning overall, um, especially whenever they turned up in the second half. It was a close game at halftime. I think it was like seven, seven to three at halftime. It was a close game. But again, conditioning and experience goes over. USA just, just was getting ground down. Great try that they ended up having uh, in that second half. Um, but ultimately, it you know, Italy took it. But this is where it goes a spoiler, man. Those eight points that USA did. That, that ended uh, Italy's campaign. Italy would fall to second. Scotland would take the win and get the, get the first ever WXV2 trophy, which means at least they get the ranking. All right. They're going to be they're, they're, they're top of the second half of the top 12 teams. And they're number six. No, they'll be number seven ranked team in the world um, versus everyone because they can't relegate up for another two years so great <laughs> like, awesome you know so I'm, I'm happy for it this was it's actually a really good tournament um like i said the whv1 is happening obviously it's all played on rugby pass tv uh i and and even though i'm not really talking that much whv1 because i just I don't think they, they need that much. England versus New Zealand is definitely one of the premier rivalries that has been started since 2017 Rugby World Cup. At minimum, whenever England really started paying out their women to play. Uh, that is two styles. Open style for uh, New Zealand with speed, typically. And, of course, the strong. And I, I talked about this on the Rugby Odd Show. New e England has a big team. They're thick team they're a power team they smash people they're not one of my favorite teams despite that but they smash people and it's a good little mix-up i mean the rugby world cup they played each other just recently and new zealand took it up and that was a great game so i would suggest getting a chance to watch that if you do have a chance to um but otherwise you know man shout out to wxb shout out to the u.s cape town and i'm glad that they were able to get this thing going on the way that it was supposed to and and see what we can make of the uh the, the tournament all right man that's a great recap on that uh next subject i want to talk about is 
about the tier two and the issues that people believe that are had with tier two rugby is tier two rugby over is tier two rugby over now, <laughs> man, a, a lot came after the announcement with the nation's cup. We talked about it last week. All right. Nation's cup, obviously the top 12 teams, the six nations teams, the rugby championships teams, plus Fiji and Japan compete in the nation's cup tier one. There'll be no relegation for a minimum six years. Uh, tier two, uh, the U.S. will have a chance to go through tier two, going through the Pacific Nations Cup. That involves Tonga, Fiji, Samoa, and including now Japan, uh, Canada, and the USA, which ironically, the USA getting a chance to play Japan will be the one chance that they'll get a chance to play a tier one team, quote, quote, for the better part of the next six years. Uh, so it's 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 definitely an interesting whole situation, but it was lost with a lot of vitriol that went along with it. And and it goes back to what I want to say about TMO. And I'm gonna keep teasing that TMO because it was TMO's trash. Uh, but my issue came in a lot of the response. Now, this person, tier two rugby, this account is probably one of the dopest accounts, one of the biggest supporters of tier two rugby in the world. Um, I, I honestly think they're the only ones that follow specifically tier two rugby to the closest extent. And we're talking about across the board. Um, they follow from the local side. I know they've shared a lot of my content. Um, so this is not me shitting on tier two uh, rugby, T2 rugby on, on X. Definitely, definitely, definitely check them out. My issue is the mindset. All right. It, it is the absolute mindset and a little bit of defeatist. And he was he's just the example that was found, but he was not the only there. They because I don't know who they are. They were the example that was found, but they're not the only one that has been saying this. And what tier two rugby had tweeted out was going. It's going to be much harder to care uh, much about so-called tier two rugby and sell it as a fan from now on. Always had faint hopes it could improve. But now chances of increased global competitiveness, competitiveness has been confirmed, held back basically for decades, if not more. So what is the point? And for me, like, I, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't get with this one. I couldn't get with this, this sentiment here. Like, tier two is over. Tier two is done because of the fact that we're blocked out of the tier one. We're not, nobody's really, no tier two nations really are going to be able to play uh, a full tier one nation for at minimum six years in test rugby. You know, obviously teams that have players that play in the professional league will be able to play with tier one players, but those tier two nations will not have a Absolutely will not have a chance in the new international test window to be able to do it. But for me, I think this is a real big positive for tier two. I genuinely think this is a positive and here's, here's why. When it comes to tier one, I think there's been a very strong lock hold over the idea of how rugby has grown. I speak in a bit in terms of the way that people talked about the 7-1 bench for South Africa. Uh, basically, it being such a disruption to the concept and the morality and the ethics and the way that rugby is being played, that you should not be doing this and it should not be allowed. To the fact that people wanted to be able to outlaw it. It's almost reminiscent, if you're in the U.S., to the Eagles and the Tush Push, which is a play that the Eagles do that is almost, they want to liken it to a, a, a mall in essence, but like it's considered this unbeatable play that the Eagles have because they found a way to master play. 
when it comes to tier one and tier twos, I think there's been such a way that tier two nations have felt that there's no choice but to try and follow in the footsteps of those that are, in essence, um, far more qualified at winning top-level games as it is with the Tier 1s. And why wouldn't you? Of course, they're consistently beating and winning, and they've been doing this for literally 100 years. So why not try and follow their model? And my argument for that is I don't think that the Tier 1 models work for a newly developed or a modern era um, starting rugby environment. So if your rugby programs really kicked off around the 1960s, uh, 1980s, 1990s, even more recently, early 2000s, um, and, and to today, you can't use tier one concepts. Like tier one have culturally preset concepts that are in New Zealand that have been playing for hundreds of years. And they basically have like a limited amount of uh, resources in terms of, of population, in terms of things to do. Uh, in there you can't follow it in like england because they are not only the originators of uh rugby but they've also been playing this for literally the hundred and plus year almost 200 years france is the same way where you have all these access points where they created a bubble in and of itself by means of being able to start so you're not learning how to evolve the game you're not learning how to start up it's like trying to compete against a corporation it's tr like trying to do a small business and using corporate tactics to be able to build your business. It just it doesn't work. There's too much longevity. But the unfortunate part is tier twos don't have much. You, you don't typically have the coaching. You don't typically have the audience. You don't typically have the uh, resources financially because you don't have the audience. You don't have the coaches and the players usually start later. So you have to come with a different model. And I think disassociating from the tier ones is going to force a mechanism for those tier twos to actually have to remember that they're doing guerrilla style um, development in rugby. For example, all right, for example, whenever American football was kicking off uh, and really starting to get, reach a spot, in that point, this is we're talking about the late 80s, uh, early 90s, when they were really trying to turn up the game. When you got cats, when you got pets, um, when they were turning up the game, baseball at that time was the definitive number one sport, and it wasn't even close. It wasn't even close, even though we got a lot of heyday stuff and people can talk about what the NFL was like in the early 90s, 80s, 70s. It really was like the second tier sport uh, and kind of bordering on third tier um, at that point in time because in the 90s, Michael Jordan shot the NBA up to levels that were like unimaginable. They've never been reached by the NBA like that again. And like I said, baseball was number one. So what was NFL, what was football doing? Yes, they had at least the collegiate end and being able to have that kind of history in it. But from a professional standpoint, uh, it was still like not kicking. So what did they do? They changed the programming. They changed the programming. And I know a lot of Americans will know this if they are paying attention. What are some of the favorite movies that we had whenever we were young? Little Giants, Remember the Titans, uh, Any Given Sunday. Uh, and then on top of that, you'd have little cartoons. 
I remember one, this is, you got to go back. I'm, I'm a 90s kid, so all my cartoons are from the 90s. There was something called uh, A Night in King Arthur's Court. Not, uh, an, uh, no, no, it was uh, King Arthur's, uh, King Arthur and the Round Table. It was an action, it was an action film. And what it basically was, was that uh, Merlin in, uh, in uh, um, uh, the place where King Arthur was, uh, I don't know why I forgot the name, but Merlin was trying to be able to find his new King Arthur and after the one that was, was defeated. He opened up his magic and found a bunch of football players <laughs> and brought them into the realm. And then the captain of the football team ended up being King Arthur and his football squad ended up being the Knights of the Round Table. This seems like it's very innocuous, but it wasn't. What it did was it implemented the seed of football into uh, our young mind as kids. Then we started seeing football mentioned in movies, in Looney Tunes, in just basic stuff everywhere. Constantly, 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 constantly. Oh, thank you, Brandon. Camelot. Thank you. My boy, my boy, Brandon, coming in with uh, the winner. Camelot. Uh, for King Arthur's uh, King Arthur and the Round Table, but essentially we started inoculating into our minds, and so some of our favorite rug of football movies, easy to go, Varsity Blues, Any Given Sunday, Remember the Titans that almost got an award, and it makes it easier. So then, whenever the late '90s come, and suddenly the heyday of football starts to increase, now you have a bunch of kids who already know they might not have been watching it. But they already know about football. Add to that the Super Bowl, and you're creating that to be more an event. The halftime show, you're creating that to be, make it more of an event. Uh, and then now the increase of the talk about the draft increases our attention. And now we're watching people go from, well, I played in high school or in middle school because I watched it. And I didn't even know I wanted to play, but I felt like everybody's playing because everywhere I'm going to seems to show me that football is number one everywhere you go. And don't get me wrong. Other sports were doing it. MLB, Buku baseball uh, um, uh, movies, uh, Angels in the Outfield, uh, Field of Dreams, which are things that help lead to uh, baseball's rise. But if football really started killing it in the late 90s and 2000s, being it, and, and it inoculates in. And if you assume, which is how we normally go as humans, a semi-FOMO effect, everybody's playing. This is the way that you normally go. This is how it's done. Oh, you have adults to be able to confirm their time playing. Oh, you have other friends of yours that are like, oh, I played. Then you have your league that shows, oh, man, I can be on the big screen. I can be on TV. I can make money. But it all starts as a cycle. That is how you start to recreate your development. And it starts in that point. And tier two, I think, needs to jump back to remember that they need to start from that ground level and then move up. There's such a hype about trying to get commercialization at the top, but you've done nothing to be able to build your fan base. And you add, like, in one programming, uh, again, I always like to use Mr. George Hook because he speaks a lot of truths because uh, he's been in the game for a long time. If you don't know, George Hook is an Irish former rugby player, coach, broadcaster, freaking legend overall. And he was saying, he was like, another issue is that tier ones have all the resources. They have the money. But the funny fact of it all, most of the money that goes from tier to tier one rugby teams come from tier two countries. Adidas, Germany, tier two. Nike, USA, Land Rover, USA, Jeep, USA. <laughs> like, it's, 
tier two resources matriculating over to tier one countries because they've done the stuff to be able to have the generational cultural uh, uh, quasi-organic build of an audience that just simply has to accept it. And hence, they're also setting the rules. Don't follow those rules. And I think this is where tier two absolutely ends up getting the advantage. If they can absolutely go back to the drawing board and, you know, for the USA, we're looking at 2031 to be able to make this happen. Well, hey, we start doing our programming now down low to get that audience base and you hit them at the, each level. It's a Disney programming. Perfect example. Disney catches us from the age zero until we're adults. How? They start us off with Disney cartoons. As kids, whether it's things like Land Before Time, or then you go to the movies and you get like the Aladdins and the Beauties and the Beasts. And that works more so whenever you're like six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And then if you once you start transitioning into teenage, oh man, now you have Disney Channel shows. You have all these teens that you start to watch as you're a kid. And then what also works is that you get to watch them grow up and Disney sends them through the funnel to help you gravitate yourself as an adult all the way up to the top to suddenly all you are now watching the major movies, Marvel's now Star Wars. Uh, whenever it was Touchstone, you'd have the adult movies of Touchstone. Uh, now ESPN and basically sports as an adult has you locked in and you've been in the funnel from day one, right out the womb. Right out the room. And then, of course, the parks become the live events that allow you to be tangibly there, which is what we do with our games. Um, then the word of mouth allows them to be able to bring more people in because that's how we work with our youth rugby. Hey, I recommend this. I recommend this. We build these factors here and there. And all of a sudden, now you have a consistent flow going through. But it's not just simply, yo, let's do a camp. Yo, let's do... Um, you know, let's let's build our, our pro team and let's see if we can monetize in a trickle down effect. It starts with the kid and it doesn't necessarily mean that they have to play. It means that you need them to be able to be viewing the sport and it allows it to be now an industry as opposed to just a club. And it doesn't make the usage of money as an evil. And yo, once again, Brandon coming in with it. Yo, he talks about my kids watch Bluey, which is Australian. Absolutely. And this is one that I did. And they've never watched football. And that should be interesting. And that is one thing what I'm saying. These cartoons, these kids shows, these elements are one layer that adds to the propaganda of getting people into the sport. That's where tier two really has to be able to play their, their heaviest game. You play the propaganda game. And now that you have social media, of course, we got guys that are from the adult side that We'll definitely do, you know, skits and parodies, talking about Sam rugby, loves rugby. Even myself, I'm, I'm, I tend to gravitate more towards the adult side uh, as I'm working back down to the kid's side. Fast forward, not to be creepy. But, um, you know, you, you or, you know, you have it with uh, Squidgy, uh, with, but from that all works from the adult side. And it makes sense because, especially in tier twos, uh, most people enter in in their adult years, but that's not how you win the game. That's not how you're winning the game. You need to bring those resources back. And that's whenever those resources that have been going to tier one, they they now stay at home. And when you tell when I tell you that those tier one resources uh, are so, so necessary because. 
those tier ones are hurting right now because they don't have the population. They don't have the financial resources. Of course, you know, RFU definitely is rich, but New Zealand isn't. Australia is falling apart and tra- going into shambles. South Africa has to be able to start working into the URC because they don't have the population or the economy that is sustainable enough for them to hold on their own. That's why they had to leave uh, the Super Rugby League. I mean, they can say it's because of time zone change, but they were in that for like a decade, almost 20 years, because the money over at Sky Sports is better, and they need to do it because they don't have the population to sustain it. You know, France is doing their thing, but even in there, they're still a third-tier sport, definitely behind basketball and soccer, easily, easily. Same with England, uh, which is more soccer and cricket, easily within that. And Wales is too small to be able to sustain it on their own. Ireland can't do it. They, You're talking about a population of 8 million people. Like, it, it doesn't work. So the gripe... Ultimately, that I that there is a defeatist nature that tier two no longer can continue on because tier one isn't. And you know who's a great example of showing that that is absolute BS is Argentina. Argentina is an economically deficient country that has somehow managed to be top of the tier in both soccer, which is clearly number one, and they won their World Cup, and basketball and rugby. And they've managed. And what was the secret that they even used? They sent their guys over to the professional league, steal the lessons, get the experience, and bring that back home. Now, mind you, they might not be getting to a world – they might not be winning Rugby World Cups, but honestly, it's only been like four people who have won a Rugby World Cup, so it doesn't really say anything in, what, 30, 30, 34 years? You know, 35 years, only four people have won a Rugby World Cup, so – that doesn't even mean anything. The fact that Argentina have been in the semifinals twice, they make it to quarterfinals, and they technically don't have the resources, nor are they receiving venture capital money either. So it's like, yo, it can be done. There is no reason at all that we as a tier two nation should ever feel some type of way that we're not going to be able to uh, uh, compete or manage or or do what we need to do uh, in that that fashion. So uh, I, I just it was just something that really hurt my heart to be able to see people do it. And then it pissed me off because I was like, you're a competitor. You're a competitor. Fans don't come because of tier one nation. Ain't nobody in the U.S. really know anybody else at a tier one. The All Blacks did because they have a brand and they do the haka. Other than that, ain't nobody really give a crap about it. But you can make him give a crap in your own country if you get it done in a manner that actually functionally creates it. Invictus showed that people will actually watch it and it almost got an award. That is the propaganda that you're trying to do, but you got to do it from the bottom up. But let me know what you guys think. I know I went on long. I don't care. I don't care. This is what the point of this is. Let me know what you guys think about this. Uh, let me know what uh, your 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 feelings are on the changes that happened with the Nations Cup and where you feel Tier 2. And, hey, if I'm wrong, yo, let me know what the significance is that a Tier 2 must play a Tier 1 as opposed to being able to play Tier 1 players in other facets, you let me know because I'm okay. I'm willing to learn, but I just I haven't felt like the proof has been shown to be absolutely necessary to do that. Uh, outside of being able to uh, scope their talent, like there's, I don't feel like teams learn that much from a hundred to ten butt whooping, a seventy to six butt whooping. I, I just I don't feel like a tier two nation actually learns that much as a result from it. But playing alongside tier one players, that that does make a difference. 
playing alongside. So, yo, you get your professional league or you go there, that makes a change. And that hasn't been bubbled out. So, there. All right, y'all. All right. Um, let's get to another ad real quick. And when I get back, we're going to talk the TMO situation. We're going to talk Eddie Jones going to Japan. Uh, and also this new proposal, possibly, of a British Lions Super League. Uh, so we'll be right back with more. Hey, everybody. This is just the break translating out a personal little video diary to all you people out there where I am going to document me riding most of the way between Singapore and Tokyo for the 2019 Rugby World Cup. I needed help, and it came from Louisiana. We in Singapore, baby! Gift from Gift Time Rugby USA is an extroverted tour de force. But what unites us is a hunger for adventure. After KL, Kuala Lumpur. Gift, where are we? We're in Fiji! Oh, 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 baby! Our love of Asian rugby culture. One, two, three, seven! Yeah. Rugby is starting to develop here in Cambodia for women as well. We're out here, we're running out of energy, we're running out of money, and we're feeling isolated. And yet at that critical moment, friends, family, sometimes complete strangers, come on board. Before you know it, we're back in the game. Tokyo, here we come. Malaysia, Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam, watch the full adventure at crugby.vhx.tv that's c like s-e-e rugby.vhx.tv all right y'all welcome back welcome back all right yo i just want to do another quick reminder y'all please go ahead and follow us on instagram rugby swag show uh you can follow me on x at gift time rug at gift a Bailu or at gift time rugby wherever you choose uh definitely catch us on you can like us on facebook at gift time rugby definitely on youtube um at Gift Time Rugby Twitch as well. We're doing this streaming on Twitch as well. If you want to catch us there, Gift Time Rugby. And then, of course, on TikTok, where we're starting to pick up a little bit more of the pace over there at Gift Time Rugby. Uh, and then, of course, if you're listening to the pod or you just can't watch it and you need to be able to listen to it, definitely check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartMedia, and the best. I mean, absolutely, definitely check this all the way out, man. Let's go. Let's go. All right. So I want to get us into uh, conversing about TMO. I didn't get the graphics for this because, honestly, I forgot to write down the graphics for it. I should have probably done something about it. But it doesn't really matter. Uh, uh, so TMO really has been something um, that has stood out for me. And it, I think this one actually showed the most issues when it came to the Sam Kane red card uh, against the South Africa. So... Set the scene. Once again, Sam Kane, he makes a hit on South African player. I believe it's Pollard. I can't remember exactly. And it leads in with the forearm making the tackle, hits the neck of Pollard, hits the head of Pollard, gets called on a yellow card, which is absolutely correct. It should have been called immediately. And then it was sent to TMO to be able to do the review. Well, 
in that moment, that should have been where the final card was actually made, right? TMO has already been set. You're looking at it. You're seeing the slow-mo going through. Kane is sent off with a yellow card, but it said it's played on decision. Ten minutes on the sin in the sin bin. Ten minutes in the sin bin is what Sam Kane needed to have. Five minutes went by. You're going, well, why are you still reviewing it? Game's still going on. Whole action is happening. And then it comes later on in the middle of play that, oh, Sam Kane's card has been upgraded from yellow to red because of intentional hit and yada, yada. And I'm in my mind, I'm just like, what the hell did that have to do with anything? How did you get anything different than you would have gotten into TMO in that moment? And it's that where I think is where TMO has now come to become the true problem of what it is, all right? I The real biggest issue has to be that TMO decisions need to be made in the time period that the uh, uh, decision-making is being made by the ref and the booth up there. Replays and reviews of games is not unusual, and I always speak to the factor that, you know, in, in NFL, in college football, in NBA, but really I'm, I'm going to NFL and college football, replays and reviews by the refs is a commonality you know obviously in nfl you got two chances to call for it a review happens before after every touchdown in college you have to call for it review is done after every touchdown and to determine whether the play is confirmed or not i don't have an issue with replays i don't have an issue with people taking time to do it i don't even feel like that part of it disrupts the game i have an issue that you have to wait until after play is done that means that you are not only changing the outcome of the game and the strategy of the game after people have now passed that moment, but you are actually trying to make perfection out of something that needs to just be great. And in rugby or in any contact sport, you can't get perfection. It's not possible. It's not even necessary. You know, like... uh. uh I'm going to throw up the great comment of Brandon saying it great. And I know he also said he doesn't mind TMOs, but he says a really great thing. Ju judicials can review later for sanctions at the level, but it's got to be done more quickly on the pitch and decisions. Otherwise it enrages the fan. And this is where I exactly agree. If you got, feel like you got a mistake made, then make the, you can deal with it afterwards. And honestly, even if you feel like the, the, the refs themselves are making mistakes on the field, Either you can put a recommendation on the ref themselves or you get past it. Because if you get to the next game, honestly, fans aren't sitting hyper thinking about the past play. But you will hyper think about a change that was made way after the point where you thought the decision was made. And it can't be something that that's that slow. You can't have so many people trying to look at it. You can't have so many slow motions that you feel like you have to get the infinitesimal access to it. Like that is by all means some fearful action. And I feel like that's a part where rugby doesn't make any sense to be able to be in that position. You are a contact tackle sport. Fear-based decision-making is not a factor that has to be made in this. And fear-based decision-making seems to be the factor that is being made when it comes to these deep-seated decisions uh, for TMO. And now you've got a system that not only is it not trying to create precision in the game, it's actually legitimately de determining what the game will actually be. In my feeling, like the Sam Kane situation, I thought that it would, I would say it should have been stayed at yellow. Be why the decision was yellow on the field. I want the refs to have the power on that. 
if that is something that you don't trust the refs to do after the big ass screen of TMO that everybody is seeing and that you're going through on a regular day basis, going through it for the five minutes it took to already do the review, to do another five minutes to be able to determine in the middle of play that it's not. That's almost 12 minutes of play time that is lost uh, due to just trying to determine TMO. Then you don't have a system. You are letting outside people do the game. And if they're not at the game, yo, I don't want it. I don't want it. Like, if you feel like it was more malicious than it was, then okay. Then they get the red card afterwards, and you can go and have the argument. But even at that, there needs to be a pretty thorough review. In the moment, no. And it's not like they got new footage. Not like TMO people got new footage. Not like there's a guy running in. He's like, wait, wait, I got this last one. This is the angle that's going to make all the difference right there. No, that doesn't exist. That's not how this goes at all. That's not how any of this goes. It literally is just simply going to be that you have this one guy, you have that same shot, everybody's seeing it, and then the decision is made, boom, bam, go on. All right, boom, bam, it's over. It, it's something that really pissed me off. I think, what was it? The uh, I think it was the Fiji game, Fiji versus England game, where it was like the TMO uh, was replayed almost four phases after uh, the penalty was it was presided. Was it Fiji or was it South Africa? I don't know. You remind me. But it was almost four phases after the fraction had been made, the decision had been made, and then it was like, oh, no, we got to roll it back. We got to roll it on back. And it's not going to be uh, counted, and we got to do it all over again. Like, that's stupid. That's stupid. That's not what the point of TMO is. That's not even about the spirit of the game or anything. That's just not the point of TMO. Like, it's not the point of a replay. You don't have technology for that. So in this situation, I feel like World Rugby and their entire ruling system, I, and, and I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, I blame the Brits. I blame the Brits. One, because the majority of them are running World Rugby. The other reason why is because this is a very British thing that has to be, where you're trying to get the exact measurements. Like, you're not trying to get relative. You're trying to get exactness. You literally are bypassing your funnel system. Your funnel system goes, the players, and then the referee and then slightly more precision with the replay. And that's it. And that's it. After that, you're done. You're done. Um, I think a great point uh, Brandon's saying. Yo, yo, and look, if you guys want to be part of the conversation, y'all yo, can come in. But right now, my boy Brandon out here doing his thing and giving the conversation. And he's saying it's too long. So for new fans, it's even worse. They're questioning if something new happened that they missed. And they're less confident, engaged fans. Yeah. I think that can be a, a factor. I don't know if I necessarily feel like that's fully uh, a thing, but I do say that it can create confusion for the game. And whenever you're bringing in new fans into the game, uh, confusion is the last thing that you absolutely need to be able to have with that. So that was my feeling when it comes to the TMO on that one. Let me know what your guys' feelings are with that. Next up, I want to talk about Eddie Jones. Oh, Eddie Jones has now decided to step outside of Australia rugby. He said, yo, y'all, I'm out. Deuces. Here's the fire I leave behind for you. Take this kindling light. Take that. Take that. Take that. <laughs> oh, man. Can I tell you how this has been one that I think we've been watching for almost since September? It's been like a month. So basically what has happened is that Eddie Jones... Uh, stepped down and is allegedly heading over to Japan to take over as a rugby 
head coach for them. Now, if you don't know, Eddie Jones used to be the head coach for um, South Africa in 2019. Um, no, in uh, yeah, it, it, not for South Africa. I'm sorry, for Japan. Yeah, in 2019, where he helped them get into past the quarterfinals, into the semifinals. They ultimately lose South Africa and then continue. South Africa would continue on to win. But Eddie Jones was the one that was supposed to be like creme de la creme when it came with it, you know? Oh, no, no. I'm tripping. Not 2019. I'm sorry. 2015. The 2015 year. 2019, he was with England. But he helped Japan basically kind of get over the hump. And I think that was one of the reasons they have now officially moved into the tier one and got respected into that realm as well. But uh, Eddie Jones was the is the former is now former Wallabies head coach. He literally started ten months ago. All right, ten months ago he took over the job out of five million five year contract, getting ready for the twenty twenty seven Rugby World Cup, the Royal Cup that is basically the last stand for Australian rugby union. If that doesn't go through, that union is broke. All right, another reason why you don't trust tier one models. They don't work necessarily at all, and it's not necessarily they don't work. But Eddie Jones came in and is, was expected to be a disruptor. Uh, the head of Australian Rugby Union, who was a former player, not a lot of people really have a lot of respect for this guy. He's had probably one of the worst tenures as a um, as a president for a rugby union. Uh, they sacked their current. Um, they sacked the current uh, 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 head coach Renner. Um, Uh, Renner, who was ironically uh, Dave Rennie, Dave Rennie, who was a New Zealander, who was a uh, uh, coaching for Australia, which also was one of the many reasons why I think Australia wanted to get rid of him. Uh, they did not want to have any more uh, L's to their New Zealand brethren uh, enough to lose against them, but then to also not be able to have your to have their coach coaching your team. And honestly, Rennie was. I, I I don't think he was actually good. I think there the program was already going in a downslide. I think it was just a factor that you were watching a downslide happen that was gradually in precision. But a lot of people will say Rennie was actually doing a good job and trying to bring young players in. But honestly, I, I don't think. I think Aussie Rugby Union really was was borrowing from Peter to pay Paul and basically with Ponzi scheming their way into having talent. That's just. We've been playing for a long time. We have a lot of Fijians and Samoans that enter into our area, so we're able to utilize these guys to be able to continue playing some high level of rugby, but in reality, we're not really actually doing a good job. And, of course, the pandemic showed up. Aussie Rugby Union almost went bankrupt, got a $20 million injection by World Rugby. Now they're ahead. They're borrowing money to be able to pay it off for the Rugby World Cup because everybody now after Japan assumes that the Rugby World Cup can be able to bring in $5 billion in revenue and economic growth uh, for your country because in Japan, that's how much it brought in, $4 billion, and then another like one and a half, two billions in economic uh, ripple effect. And so Aussie Rugby Union is like literally sitting on a string. They thought they are going to do something big with Eddie Jones and – it's been a disaster. Number one, Eddie Jones really uh, obviously has been shaky with the media. He was run out of England, um, you know, despite the fact that he 
England was competitive and they made a semi they made the finals in 2019 versus what they did now. Um, but they ran in Eddie Jones out in England. Eddie Jones was already shaky with the media. Eddie Jones was shaky with veteran players. He didn't pick a lot of key players that would have been um, should have probably been part of this roster because I think he was trying to prep up for 2027. So he was using this 2023 Rugby World Cup as a testing ground. But if you're a Wallaby, yo, you don't know testing. This is like this is like Alabama football trying to be like, hey, we're going to Dutch a season and not try and make the playoffs uh, because, you know, we want to be able to make the playoffs for next year. You know, when it count, no, you always keep winning. You know, LSU, I like that better. You always got to stay winning. So this year, worst historical outcome for Australia. Uh, didn't make the quarterfinals. Lost to Fiji. Uh, close games. Lost to Wales. Like it, it just it wasn't there. It wasn't their season. Uh, played terribly. I mean, they they played tough against. Mediocre team played tough against Georgia, but you know, barely beat them. You know, it, it's just it was a bad look overall. And then midway through, they said during the warm-ups, Eddie Jones was already taking talks about talking to Japan. So we're not even this was in September, not even through the middle. I don't think we were even we weren't even out of pool play, obviously, when Eddie Jones started trying to talk to Japan. Japan is about to get uh their coach for Japan stepping down. So this has been an entire just cluster and you know this man who's had uh, look he has a very storied history when it comes to rugby he has been overtly successful but people have now felt like you know maybe his time has passed like people go to over the hill man this is this is uh belichickian sands the um sands the uh uh champion actually i would probably liking eddie jones to Jim Harbaugh, who's coach for Michigan football team. Like, he's a guy that can come in. He can rebuild the program typically. Uh, definitely has taken programs and over-exceeded where they should be able to go. And, uh, you know, this was a situation where I think Australia did. He would have been coming back. But the one thing I will say is that I don't think I saw any single person, or at least very few, that were actually Australia rugby fans specifically that were happy about Eddie Jones coming back. And I think that speaks a lot of volumes for what it was. And it probably was a very much a foreshadowing of what this uh, outcome was going to be. So, um, uh, <laughs> uh, Eddie Jones hasn't beaten the Buckeyes. <laughs> and Brandon said, actually, you know, Jim Harbaugh actually has beat the Buckeyes uh, twice now, actually. So, uh, yeah, just just remember that. I'm not even a Michigan fan. Don't make me defend Michigan. I don't care about Michigan. I just have to use it as an example. But, like, um, uh, what you call it? Uh, but Eddie Jones is definitely one that now it's it's twilight of his career, but he's controversial. And for me, I like the guy. Um, I mean, he's not great in terms of maybe how this campaign went and how his time in England kind of fell apart, but he's he's – He's going to grab attention on the mic. Uh, he's definitely going to rustle from some feathers, and I think that's always good for rugby. Uh, but you have to win. Uh, if you're going to do all that, you got to win. And uh, unfortunately, in this situation, he hasn't won. He didn't win. 
So we're going to see. Uh, they said in that same article, and I got this one technically. I mean, it was everywhere about the Guardian and everything like that. But hey, they said in that that he is going to be working with the Barbarians with uh, soon to be future All Blacks head coach. Um, what's his name? Uh, um, uh, uh, Scott Robertson. Um that uh, they're going to be with the Barbarians 15s and taking on Wales on November 5th. So, you know, next week uh, they're going to be taking on Wales and then we'll see what happens with uh, we're going to see what happens with Japan, even though it's, it's pretty much seems to be a set deal and done. They're probably just working out the numbers. Also, Australia doesn't look like they're going to be doing any buyout for there's not going to be any buyout for Eddie Jones's contract. I mean, yo, it'd be like that sometimes, right? <laughs> It be like that sometimes. But moving on, and this <laughs> is going to go back. We don't want to do tier one things because tier one is always in the set of trouble. But, yo, there is talks now that the British and Irish Lions are going to be merging to create a Super League. Man, money is a struggle out in these streets, man. We 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 broken rugby, all right? We doing broke things. So what the article says, I got this one, this article from extra.ie. Initially I saw it on the uh Telegraph, but they have a um they have a uh uh, uh what do you call it? A paywall, so you know, you get it somewhere else cuz that's how it all works. But it looks like the British uh, uh, Irish and British Lions are and and Europe rugby are trying to look to create another consolidated program. It looks like they're trying to look about three years down the line uh, for this to actually come into fruition. But they're trying to find another property to be able to sell to, to be able to increase money. And this would include putting the URC teams and the English Premiership teams into it. I don't fully understand how this would work, considering that the British and Irish Lions are made up of players that play for the URC and the English Premiership, like exactly what are you trying to put together? Like you're going to remove the best players from Leinster and the Stormers, and uh, uh, you know, and 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 all these teams to be able to put the British and uh, Irish Lions so that they can ultimately go like, bruh. Like, why do you guys want to work with tier one so badly? They suck at business, bro. <laughs> it's, and on top of that, it adds another bubble to, I mean, you're you're locking themselves in to a fan base that don't even have the capability of holding it. So what are you going to do? You're going to have your international schedule with the Nations Cup. Three years down the line, you're going to have an international schedule with the Professional Cup because professional teams also are going to be playing during this time that also happened during this international test schedule. And you're basically just literally uh, uh, or a saying your whole thing. It's a snake eating the tail to eat the snake, to eat the tail. And you're just like, what, what is happening? Has everybody lost their mind? Like you don't, your issue isn't the lack of games. The issue is you're literally the lack of resources and your inability to grow outside of your own area. Augustine, Augustine Pichot said it perfectly. Like, why would you try and isolate out the growth spots that have the population that you need to be able to actually develop 
the money that is worth it so that you can actually get the returns that you need on top of the fact that your salaries that you complain about are being so bad are some of the lowest salaries in professional sports. So let's take, oh, Brazil, 250 million people. Nah, we don't want to try and access that audience more. The U.S., man, they've already been effing up so much because of our hands in there. And now that we're in it, eh, it's still iffy. 350 million people, nah, we don't need that. Oh, man, look at India. Two billion people, nah, we don't need to develop that. China, oh, man, I know they got some autocracy and they got some uh, issues. But, you know, that's another 1.8 billion people that are there. Nah, we don't need to go after that one anymore. They they're not gonna watch us. Okay, yo, what about uh, what about Nigeria? Nigeria, hey man, they already had connecting. That is 180 million people that are there. Most of them, over 50 percent of them, are under the age of 35. Young audience, absolutely willing. They already watch your Premiership Soccer League. Why don't you go ahead and talk that? Nah, we're not gonna do that. We gotta wait for them. Like this is stupid. This is just stupid. It's just, it's the sad result of poor modeling based off of the fact that you have a group of people who do not actually know how to grow rugby. They are actually legitimately, uh, um, uh, uh, what do you call it? It's what happened when you only know how to culturally, organically have something that was already established 100 years ago, and you just continue to ride the wave. You're just riding the wave. Yo, per, even using the perfect example, even the NFL understood this. NFL is more profitable than all these leagues together. Is more profitable than all these leagues together. That's including Premiership uh, Soccer as well. Premiership Soccer, Premiership Rugby, URC, Top 14. You, uh, NFL supersedes them almost combined on yearly income of $10 billion. And with an intent of getting up to $10 billion from distribution. And it's actually somewhere around 12 12, 12 and a half, 15 dollars, 12 and a half, 15 billion dollars. They even know that they've maxed out their country of 350 million and are entering into the European market, dropping mad games. And it just used to be London, but now it's Frankfurt. Now it's going to Spain and Barcelona, uh, Germany now being uh, Frankfurt, obviously being in Germany. Uh, and then obviously the games that play in London. Because you understand that, yo, you got to expand out. You got to build your base. Even including games possibly in Sao Paulo, Brazil, where, again, they've already set a huge set of seeds to be able to build out. They got their play rugby, their play football in Brazil. Uh, they've been sending in professional games over to Brazil through Star Plus, which has been great whenever you're here. Like, one place to be able to find most of the games is great. Um, but you basically put your seeds in and build those populations out, and they're going to see the returns on that because they're going to have what is what the point of their monetary is reach. How much reach can we have? You know, what is the games that we're playing? So this this issue with URC and the English Premiership League wanting to merge with the British and Irish lines to create a league like it's 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 so short sighted. It's so short sighted. You're, you're still not solving the problem. You need people. You need people. You are a sport who has to play the reach game. That is it. Like, I know they're bringing in Rugby Pass TV, but it's like, yo, you should have been on this back in 2015 whenever it was still coming in. Now that you're in it, you're still not realizing that it's not more games. So let me know what you guys think on this one as well. I mean, I, I it, it just gets me aggravated 
in a different way uh, to to know that this is is something that is in the thoughts because it just it's it's a bad play and this affects the rest of the world like the U.S. how you are able to get in and it goes back to where those tier two resources keep going to tier one spots man we need to be robbing these people all right they're taking money from us from us USA Germany India freaking uh, Netherlands like Netherlands are the venture capital that would fund the six nations come on man come on man so, man, that's my thoughts right there. That's my thoughts. Let me know what you guys think about this. Uh, in the meantime, yo, we're going to be right back. We got to pay some bills when they're talking about commercialization. So uh, hang tight. We got one more segment for you. And, uh, man, let's let's call it. So be right back. Y'all, if you are trying to be able to get your name out, whether it's for business, whether it's for work, whether you're just trying to do something personal for a friend or family, you need to stop utilizing social media as the sole place where you put all your stuff. You don't know when the algorithms are going to change on you, and you don't know whenever the rules are going to change. So what seemed like it was okay yesterday might not be today. And what does that mean? You need to have your own home, and that means having your own website. That's where Green Geeks comes into play. Now, Green Geeks is a place where you can create and build your website in the cleanest host in the game. I'm talking about environmentally. Not only that, they'll provide you with a free domain name and free template builder so that you don't even have to think about having to create your website. I've used Green Geeks for almost a decade now, and I have been so satisfied by everything that they've been able to provide for me. No matter whether or not I know what I'm doing or I don't, they have 24-7 support for me every single time I need a question answered or I need something to be changed or I need to be updated on any information. And the best part about this is that I'm not limited to any of the websites that are need to be used. It uses a WordPress foundation, which allows me to have access to limitless amounts of templates that are available to be able to use for any version of a website that I want to have. And the best thing about it, the best thing about it, it costs me less than $5 per month to do. And that can be the same for you. All I needed to do is click the link in the bio. If you're listening, definitely click it in the description. And if you're watching, definitely click it in the description as well. But you guys, this is something that everybody should do. You don't have to just do e-commerce. Your website is the place where you have control over what you want. That's your house, not their house. And go ahead and get that with Green Geeks. Once again, click the link in the description to be able to get your first year at under five dollars per month guys it's the best decision I, i'm telling you let's get back to it yo man i'm really happy to be able to get back to this uh let's let's get back into it where we got hbcu rugby now i always tell people look this is my bread and butter this is where my babies are this is where i feel the growth whenever i talk about starting from an interior part and creating those seeds man hbcus will 100 percent be a place where you need to foster it here in the usa for sure uh it's not just because it's uh, predominantly black uh, universities and is just a player home, but it's also a place where culture actually stands. So, all right, off the bat, right off the bat, I want to talk about what we had happening last week, and that really was uh, going with our game from last week. So, we had two games Howard University men, Howard University women. 
Uh, Howard University men went to Mount St. Mary's uh, to D1 school. All right, they but put a little caveat. Howard men actually ended up playing the third, uh, the the uh, tier, third uh, division squad for that Mount St. Mary's team uh, playing in 15s. And the reason why this is actually really, really important is because Howard men who have been around for just two years, uh, they really kicked off their sevens program just this last year, really had it at their, their most consistent. And this year they're really working to enter back into enter into 15s. Uh, this year they uh, are in their second year with the NCR uh, in the mid-Atlantic and they're finding their way through. But this entering to 15s and playing their first regular season 15s game, beating St. Mount St. Mary's 14 to 3. Man, this is a big accomplishment. A lot of shout out uh, to Tito Miranda, who is not only the head coach, but he is an alumni of Mount St. Mary's. Formerly, that's where he started playing at and was able to really show out. Um, and, and look, this is how you build out the confidence and this is how you access other communities in ways that you don't normally do because you don't have to play and do rugby exactly the same for exactly everybody else. On the other side of this, man, we had Howard University women. Now, this team is definitely looking to try and get another championship run, all right? They have been absolutely killer this year. They Last year, they came in second overall in Division II in uh, College Rugby Association of America, uh, losing a tough one, um, but really being able to clean out their region. This year, they said, bet. We understand how you have to play, so we're going to play some of the hardest teams. This week, they played Nova Club Rugby. Not Nova College, Nova Club Rugby. If you don't know who Nova is, Nova is based out of Virginia. Nova is a two-time back-to-back national champion. They are a one – They last year, 2023, this past, past season, they came in second overall, and this Howard University team took on – I would probably arguably say their second squad, but if they took on their number one, that's wild. But really, I'm more thinking it's their second squad. But they took on their second. Even if they took on the second squad or even if they took on the third squad, this is a team that knows how to win in Nova Rugby. Howard University women body slapped them 30 to zero. All right. 30 to zero. Hey, shout out to uh, GM uh, Catherine Aversanu, who's been absolutely killing it, to their coach, Lily Eights who is an FIU alum. Hey, that's this girl women's team is going to be doing damage and they're going to be doing a lot of things for the future. Just keep watching out because once again, this is how you change culture. All right. You increase and add it into places where culture is naturally flowing and also trends culture as well. Cause if you don't know HBCUs and black colleges trend culture in the U S and it technically ripple effects into other parts of the world. So, from Howard University to the rest, and of course their B-side squad, Howard's B-side squad, took on the DC Furies. Not the result that they wanted, went down 0-33. to 33. But hey, you know what? Sometimes it is simply what it is. But I mean, I want to give a lot of praise and pride to the, those two teams because, um, man, it's making a difference. Uh, next week, we got Prairie View a and um, going up against um, Stephen F. Austin. Uh, I believe, if not next week, the week before. But, you know, it, the week after. 
But, man, I, I'm loving it. If you don't know, definitely check out uh, HBCRugbyClassic.com. Get more information about these teams. Um, definitely check out the interview also that we did with president of the James G. Robertson and Clive Sullivan Found Rugby Foundation. Um, um, my guy, Mike Anderson, uh, who runs that, who's the president for it. Uh, that is the organization working on getting more uh rugby into hbcus and black colleges you know we're moving from just having two back in 2018 now we're at four programs uh three programs four teams uh in this in 2023 at the end of 2024 beginning 2025 we should be up to six uh actually six seven teams in southern university uh possibly tennessee state and as well as bowie and coppin state so seven and then University of District of Columbia is coming along the way. So this is going to continue to be a rise. I absolutely think that you guys need to definitely support it in. But I don't want just support, man. We're here to entertain and be the best. And that's what we do. And, of course, check out the HBCU Rugby Classic. We're going to be having it back in Atlanta 2025. So get ready for that as well. And last subject of the day for me, you know, for, for this, you know, solid hour and a half of this. I appreciate everybody who's taking the time to listen, has been on this long. I mean, it, it's tough, but, hey, this is what we do. We're, we're out here trying to make the changes. Uh, I wanted to talk about one of my, my favorite teams because after this Rugby World Cup, I was really reminiscing on why I love this 2019 South Africa team, even though I bet against them to lose against um, uh, New Zealand, it was easily my favorite team. And I was talking with somebody about this and I uh, ended up making a tweet about it. And the tweet was basically, you know, uh, going, to, uh, oops, wrong one. Um, the tweet was basically, uh, you know, in my short time of playing rugby, playing and watching rugby, which has been 14 years, I started in 2009, March 5th, 2009 was when I officially started playing and watching rugby. I was introduced to it back in 2004, but 2009 is when I officially started watching and paying attention to rugby. Uh, the teams that I love the most are the teams that are absolutely body crushing in Russia, in rugby. Uh, it is at the 2010 to 2015 All Blacks, the 2014 2019 Blackburns, the 2016 2017 USA Rugby Women, uh, the 2014 to 2021 Fiji Sevens Men, and 2019 and 2023 Springboks. And for me, like it's there's something to that. Uh, not so much about the teams, everybody has their own sets and whatnot, but it's what how you end up connecting with the team. Again, a lot of people connect either, you know. I also always say, look, my uh, my loyalties go to USA Rugby. Like, I'm always going to be loyal to USA Rugby first, men's and women. But um, one person asked me, you know, what is what do you what uh, do you love the men's team, uh, the USA Rugby? And I had to say, you know, specifically the men's team. I don't love them. I like them. I like them a lot. I'm always going to be loyal because that's home country as well as Nigeria Rugby, but. In terms of what they've produced, no, it's not been particularly lovable for my taste. It's kind of just like something that's there and you hope to improve, but it's something that you're part of the process and you actively are working. For me, I'm actively working to see that improved. The same with the women's side, but I feel like the women's side has been more consistent. Now, there's always some level of bias. Uh, the women's side was one of the ones, especially for sevens, 
that when I was doing early coverage, they were the easiest to be able to have access. I was able to talk to them the most. So I kind of gravitated and I was also really impressed by the way they played. Um, but I really like end up loving these teams the way that they go. And one reason why it always connected with me was uh, since I was a kid, I'd always played, uh, you know, smash mouth sports. So with American football, for me, I was a linebacker, fullback, running back. So for me, I knew, yo, we hit, we hit. And I love that. In my collegiate times, my favorite college team and favorite football team is the LSU Tigers. We're in the SEC, smash mouth football, even though right now we're playing a little bit more uh, finesse offensive one. But on average, typically, especially in this uh, millennium, uh, LSU has been a strong defensive team. It makes it ache more. It makes it hit more. Uh, teams like the 2000 Baltimore Ravens, you know, uh, the the 2013 Seattle Seahawks. These are smash mouth teams that I really gravitated to because I love great defense, great hitting. I don't need a super high score, but I want it to hit hard. And, uh, you know, I, I always wonder, like, how is it it connects to other people? So I kind of want to break down, obviously, some of these teams that I, I love so much. And I think a lot of us have it with it. Um, so, like, kind of first and foremost, obviously, that 2011 to 2015 uh, All Blacks, you know, led by Richie McCall. You had uh, uh, Carter on it. Uh, Manu, Manu Nanu, who was actually the real reason why I fell for that team. Like, that, that, that was a legendary uh all black team and there's been think pieces trying to act like that team didn't play hardly any competition bs that team was bangers bangers it doesn't matter what era they're gonna play in even if they play 10 years down 10 years later at that peak stage they would still be some of the bangers back they were big they were fast and they crushed you did not matter what the level is. The level of play was good in 2011 and 2015. It hasn't changed significantly, literally, in like 20, 25 years. So I don't know why I think Peace would even begin to go into trying to discredit the All Blacks then. But that team is the one that made me come into international rugby. That was a team that was like, all right, yo, this is this is what the epitome of rugby is supposed to be. They were sleek. Obviously, the 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 uniform, the kits were dope. The guys were quiet, but they had so much swag on the field. Like, you felt the pressure. You felt the pressure. It was whenever the, I feel like the Haka felt like, like heavy. It was intimidation. Now, I feel like the Haka is done, obviously, because, you know, you have to commemorate, and that's what they do at the beginning. But I don't feel the intimidation factor since that 2015 team basically retired out, even though Manuanu is over here playing for MLR. But it's not the same guy, obviously. It's like he's older and it's just going to work the same. Um, but that was that was my team. That was my team. Uh, next up, I got 2017 USA Rugby Women. This is probably easily my mo- favorite team, I think, ever. Um, because, one, I feel like people underestimate women's rugby in the wildest way. I don't I don't understand why. Um, like if you watch it, you'll understand that they're like legitimately dope. Uh oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. This is the uh 2017 Black Ferns. 2017 Black Ferns. I'm gonna get to the USA rugby way. You 2017 Black Ferns led by the absolute indisputed women's goat of all time, Portia Woodman. Wiseman, uh, I want to get her last name right. 
um uh 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 Wycliffe Portia Wonderman Wycliffe the absolute goat like that 2017 was just oh my god that was uh gangbusters uh like obviously Portia was the preeminent with the preeminent name on that one but you got like Sarah Harini on there absolute monster absolute monster you had uh Kendra uh Coxedge monster Ruby Tui one of the nicest but dangerous monsters on the team like that team was literally unbeatable literally unbeatable I don't think there's going to be another era that they are not competitive they are in my opinion the equivalent for women's rugby to the 1995-96 Chicago Bulls. I uh, like they were on freaking stoppable fast. Woodman is absolutely crushing people single-handedly, hardest hitters, making the tackles. Man, that that 2017 Rugby World Cup was too bad. It was too dope. Too dope and the numbers have spoken for it as well too, being the highest rated one that they ever had. Now what I was saying before which is the USA Women's uh, Eagles, 2017 USA Women's Eagles. This is easily my favorite team just in general. Uh, again, I don't think people really respect what was had. I know they didn't end up winning, and I think we ended up getting fourth in that uh, fourth in that Rugby World Cup. Yeah, I think we ended up getting fourth in that. But that was a team where I would go, this, this is what the U.S. legitimately can be. Why was it so dope? It was because we had the 15s team combined with the 7s team. We had the backs of like Naya, Alev Kelter. We had Chetta Emba. Bro, like, yo, that team, that team gets me so excited. That team gets me so freaking excited. Like watching them, uh, 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 uh I mean, oh my God. Like, uh, hold on, hold on. I got, I got, I got to say them all right because I can't see it very well. On this initial um this whole page, but yeah, uh uh freaking uh uh um uh uh Thomas, like man, Rogier, we had uh uh wouldn't like Haverland, we had Jessica Javelet, like this team was literally an all-star team for USA. Tiffany Faye, the homie Tiffany Faye as a captain for it. Like, I I, I don't like humility sometimes because I don't think people appreciate. Like, whenever you're being super humble, like, I get it because, you know, you're holding yourself. But sometimes I do wish that they would just straight up just be like, yo, no, we were great. And the fact that since that time, uh, Emily, the, the, uh, for the Rugby World Cup for 2022 last year and, you know, the, the, Rob Kane and Emily Bidwell, butting heads in terms of like allowing players to play. And I know they, the Olympic schedule played in and saving bodies, but man, that was, that was truly the version of USA rugby that I expect from both the men and the women. We were fast. We were hard hitting. We were dominant. Uh, we definitely were the intimidating factor. Like that women's team was everything. Everything that is the example that it should have been. I want to see a USA men's 15s team that include uh Perry Baker, even though now he's getting older and probably would never do it. But that had I wish that it included Perry Baker, 
and Carlin Isles more and Danny Barrett in there. And we would have had our sevens teams in the backfield with our strong stout forwards. And we had our reserves. The ones that played 15 would have been reserves, but they weren't it. They weren't it. Our fastest guys were playing sevens. Our fastest women were playing sevens. And we finally got to see it. And, oh, God. Uh, no. Uh, Brandon, yeah. Ileona wasn't there yet. I don't think Ileona came until, like, 2018, 2019. I think she was still in college at that point. But, uh, my God. I, I, I absolutely adored that team. And, and I hope that we can ever get something back like that again. Uh, and then, of course, for me, then... The next one is the 2014 to basically 2021 uh, Fiji 7s team. Like, what do you got to say? Like, these dudes are – it's like the most natural sport, okay? You you win two Olympics. You absolutely body everybody. You're the biggest on the field. You're the fastest on the field. You're the most spiritual. Like, that's why I was, I was excited for this Fiji 15 team. I'm glad that the Fijian Drew are doing what they do. Uh, because I want to be able to see these guys really dominate even more because it doesn't make sense for them to dominate in sevens, but not in 15. You got the size, but I know a little bit of mentality, a little bit of space, but yo, it's, it's getting it in. But this team with uh, led by uh, uh, Hosea Tuva, um, you know, uh, you had guys like uh, Joshua Vakuri and Abili, Jerry uh, Tuai, who's an absolute legend. Like, yeah, I mean, that team was just again unstoppable, unstoppable. Like, who, who, who who's gonna do anything against them? And that's why they win two golds for the first time ever. Uh, like, <laughs> like that's that's how it goes. That's how it goes, man. Right? Yeah. These men, uh, Brandon Davis goes. These men are who Jack found at the top of the beam. Like, exactly. Like, these are the giants that we were expecting. When you go to the top of the beanstalk and go do some damage. And then, of course, uh, my last favorite team, 2019 South Africa, 2023 South Africa. 2019 South Africa, I love because they, I think their forwards obviously were better with the beast. I love the fact, and of course, this one's going to hit for me. Sia Khaleesi was a captain for this team. First black captain for South Africa. And he led them. It led them well, man. This South Africa team again doing it again for 2023. This man is quiet power. Uh, great story. He's doing the celebrity thing. Yo, shout out to the fact that he's with Rock Nation. This man is out here doing what I expect from a celebrity, uh, high end rugby player. And now you know he's gonna be moving over to Rossing, uh, Rossing 92 for the top 14. So. I don't think he's playing international test rugby for South Africa anymore after this. I think he's aged out. I think he's 34, 32, 34 now. Um, and so by the time the next Rugby World Cup comes, uh, I think he's going to be aging out of this one. But what a heck of a, a performance. And like I said, this 2023 South Africa team played bully ball. Like they pounded their teams. And I love it whenever a team is just crap, just crush on, just crush, like, Kirk the Fox throwing bodies up in there. Like, that, that's what I want to see. As a USA person, that's what I want to see. I want to see our speed from our sevens team, our power from our big-ass forwards really doing the job. No offense to our 15s forwards and our sevens, uh, our 15s backs now and our sevens forwards, but that ain't the combination, all right? It ain't the combination that's working, 
All right. And I want to be able to see that really popping off. Obviously, I think AJ McGinty being in there. But that again, he's seventh as well, too. So I'm talking about exactly what I'm saying. But like I that was what I was all about, man. That was that that's what I expect from the US. That's why I expect from Nigeria. Yo, shout out as uh one of the emerging sports uh to be coming up. Yo, population 180 million, all more than 60% under 35, more than 40% under 30, which is wild. Wild. That is a nation you got to take advantage of and strongly are affecting culture, strongly from music to pop culture to movies. Yo, you need to take advantage of these places that understand how to propagate attention. But, oh, man. Anyways, I'm sorry. I'm getting excited, man. It gets me hyped up, man. I I, I want to be out and play. Like, ah, it's, it's I, I, I got to get back onto the pitch at, at, at some point. But, yo, let me know what you guys think. Let me know what your favorite teams are. I want to hear from you if you do. Uh, but in the meantime, y'all, I, I, ah, man, I, I, I feel for this. This one, this one is great. This one is so great. But y'all, that is all that we have for today. Hold on, I gotta, I gotta set this up right. <sighs> Man, tomorrow should be up on um, Thursday. I'm sorry, should be coming up on Thursday, uh, and that's gonna be with uh, Howard University women's coach Lily Eight. Um, looking forward to being able to uh, continue to bring more conversation. I told you I was going to end up bringing more people in bit by bit by bit. Uh, we're going to be working on getting guests up in here a little bit more. I'd love to be able to have a little bit more information and knowledge because I know you guys are tired of talking to me or listening to me. But uh, definitely check out some of our the rest of our catalog. We've had some great conversations from amazing people who are doing incredible things within rugby. And, uh, you know, we're continuing to want to be able to not just develop it, but make it one of the most entertaining, watchable sports in the world, the way that we know that we fell in love with it. Not only that, but a community sport as well, too. Again, don't forget to please like and subscribe this if you get a chance and you love it. Definitely uh, leave a comment if you are uh, listening on Apple Podcasts. Definitely, uh, definitely share this around on Spotify. But other than that y'all man i hope that you guys are happy i hope that you guys are healthy and most 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 importantly i hope that you know that regardless of whatever is happening you are truly truly highly favored all right until next time y'all cheers